Welcome to The Other Side of 40. My name is April Grant, and I'm here to help women make positive changes with their lives after the age of 40. Let The Other Side of 40 become your community to find inspiration and support to start the next chapter of your life. Hello, 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 and welcome to another week of The Other Side of 40. I'm so excited. I have another friend on today. You know, I get very excited when I get to, I actually know the people before I interview them because sometimes we can get a little deeper and have more of a frank conversation. So today we have Deborah McKenzie and she's a certified career coach and academic. I'm sorry, I'm going to say that all over again. Deborah McKenzie is a certified career and academic coach and published researcher. She has given numerous presentations on career development, vocational and academic identity, college retention, grit and resilience, and predictive analytics for college support services at multiple higher education events. Deborah has over 10 years of career counseling experience working with individuals in the community, higher education, and military settings. She is a certified career counselor endorsed by the National Career Development Association and a Florida certified workforce professional. So welcome, Deborah. Hello. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, sorry. I stumbled a little bit there, but uh, we're going to keep going. (laughs) Um, (laughs) So... Tell us a little bit about your awakening moment. Oh, I would say, gosh, my awakening moment honestly involved shortly after I relocated. So my husband and I decided to make a family move for his business and to further the type of work that he was doing. So I uh, received um, the opportunity to work in a nonprofit setting, which um, Working in a nonprofit setting for me was different from being in a university setting because it was really a pure grassroots nonprofit. Um, and I learned one of those lessons that I was kind of warned about by some of my colleagues about how nonprofit can sometimes be a small world and a little bit like high school. And um, pretty much long story short, there was a moment where I had to decide um, do I stay in a situation where I'm not being fulfilled? I don't feel like I'm advancing myself. Or do I just walk away and walk away and have some faith and just kind of look at just building uh, my career from there? So I decided to actually just walk away from that situation and focus on just continuing to build my career. So in that moment, um, that I guess I would say that, that was my awakening moment more so because of the fact that I think for the first time I considered uh, walking away from something purely upon uh, my own intrinsic values rather than just kind of thinking about uh, just how that would affect um, my profession, how that would affect others, but kind of more so put me ahead and my, my well-being ahead for the first time. So yeah, that was my awakening moment. Well, what I hear is you for the first time really just trusted yourself yes. as opposed to everything else. You know, we, we put a lot of faith in systems you know, uh, and jobs and what someone will pay us and how much value we are based on who will hire us. And it was the first time you really stepped out. That's amazing. Um, So going, talking about careers, where exactly do you see kind of the future of um, our society? Because, 
you know, I've gotten into several conversations, especially lately, about pay, pay scale, minimum wage. And I keep trying to say to people, you know, well, if I say we should pay people more and their first response is, well, then all the products will go up, right? The prices of the Mm. products. And I'm like, but why are we okay with the idea that products have to cost a dollar? Like, why are Mm. we okay with the idea that, oh, we are going to have this Dollar Tree um, store and chain because people, there are people who can't afford to pay more than a dollar for some of those products, right? Mm -hmm. And why are we okay with that (laughs) as a society where going to the Dollar Tree isn't a choice, you know, like I just want to grab something cheap real quick versus a, for other people, you know, it's a mandate for them. Like that's how they make their budget work. Like if they Mm -hmm. don't go to the dollar store, they will not eat. And we've just become so complacent with the idea that companies are making uh, record profits (laughs) and they're putting their money in their pockets and they don't have any problem increasing that number. But when it comes to increasing your, uh, the, the employee's bottom line, their employee's income, all of a sudden it's an issue. So what, I guess, that was a long-winded way of kind of asking, what do you, would you suggest for someone starting out in their, in a career? Um, so it's interesting that you asked that question because um, currently I've been doing a lot of coaching right now with some um, uh, wives, basically military wives, and how do you sell yourself now in a, a pandemic economy? Um, and, you know, what do you think about when you talk about salary negotiation? And I think the first uh, factor of this whole process and thinking about pay and salary is uh, kind of having more soul of like a, a edge view. So um, I, I read some books from Robert Kiyosaki and one of the things he talks about is that, you know, there's typically two sides of the coin, but then there's the edge. And in order to really have a deep understanding of financial uh, education um, and freedom, you have to be on the edge. And so First of all, taking a look at things from the employer's point of view and then looking at things of your uh, point of view as the employee. And from there, you can kind of see where that bridge point is. And that's the moment where you sell yourself. So for the employers, uh, some of the things that I've I've seen from my um, experience in being a program manager, um, but also having a husband who's a business owner and, and working with other business owners is there's typically a budget. Um, and that budget could either come from another source as a client or it could be a direct-to-consumer um, budget, but typically they're working with a certain amount of income. Mm-hmm. And so when they look at employees, employees are not only a way to try to further their business and grow their business and make those things happen, but they also are, are expenses. It kind of sounds harsh, but that's the, the hardcore facts, again, if you're standing on the edge. And so they have to look at how, how the employers um, are going to cost them from a bottom line standpoint. And so for the employee, you're basically saying, I have values, I have experience, I have knowledge that I can contribute. And so therefore I'm asking for X amount of dollars in exchange for this. So now the employer has to do this analysis at the same time, trying to keep their bottom line and try to see there's a way they can kind of 
budget you in, so to speak. And so what happens is, is if you have an understanding of what contributes towards that bottom line and understanding your valuable points and being able to sell that, I think um, some of the challenges that most individuals find with trying to negotiate salary tend to kind of um, be a bit relieved, so to speak, because now you're speaking from the employer's point of view. Um, I, I hear a lot of business owners and even employers um, in the days when I was doing employee relations, one of their pet peeves is um, how employees or just candidates can come to them with this expectation or this entitlement. I got this degree, therefore I graduated, I got this experience, so now I'm coming to you and wanting to get your job. And some of their frustration is that they don't understand what goes on behind the scenes. They don't have an understanding of total compensation. And really what's happening is that um, I'm going to pay money for what you're bringing to the table. And this is kind of more of a exchange, so to speak. But if it's presented in a way of like, you know, this is what I deserve because I spent this time getting this education, it can kind of annoy employers. However, if they meet those that not only had a thorough understanding of their business and how they make money, but are able to sell themselves by saying, I bring this to the table. I bring this knowledge, this education to the table, and this is going to contribute to your bottom line. And this way, a lot of employers don't have a problem. And so again, it's knowing how to sell yourself. What, what is the value point? Being a student of that employer or that company that you want to work for, finding the pain or finding the problems, and then you present yourself with the solutions and that allows for you to negotiate your worth as well. So what I hear is that you should look for the company's pain points really and mm -hmm. show them that you are the solution to that pain point. And Absolutely. over over the last, because you've been working in the industry, I believe probably since college, correct? Um. Yes, since um, grad school for me. Yeah. Well, actually, yes, yeah, since college. I, I started out working as a peer counselor in the career center in undergrad. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. What have you seen change from, you know, probably, what are we talking, 20, 20 years ago to now in the way employees and employers approach the hiring process? Mm. You know, it's interesting I kind of see a little bit more consistency rather than change, um, but I would say maybe the biggest change is um, the notion of having a linear transition into the workforce. Mm -hmm. Now, I, I set the caveat by saying with some occupations, there are exceptions, typically those that are professionally regulated, like doctors, like engineers and such, but for the most part, when we look at business and education and things within the communications fields, um, you know, in, in the past with the industrial age type of mindset, you go and get a degree and that area, that subject area that you got your degree in represented the types of jobs that you can get. So again, this linear transition, but what has drastically changed uh, within the 20 years is more so the fact that it's really nonlinear, uh, primarily because of the fact we're talking about now is we're not, we're not dealing with an industrial age economy we're dealing with an information age and actually we're kind of shifting to this whole thing of, you know, um, in uh, innovation and automation and artificial intelligence and virtual reality and augmented reality. Um, and so what's happening is that, you know, you have technology that is brought into the workforce now. That is a knowledge economy all within itself. 
we're talking about now a global economy. So now we could outsource jobs. You, and then there's a gig economy that is, has uh, emerged as a result of that. So again, we can strongly outsource jobs. And then we're talking about an oversaturation of having educated individuals. The access to getting into higher education has been widened. So we have individuals who are able to now go and get degrees or certificates or um, you know, uh, some type of education of some sort. And so as the employer, what they're finding is that the candidates have degrees, have education, um, some of them even come in with experience, but now their goal is in, you know, how can you utilize this technology? How can you execute problem solving and critical thinking? Um, how can you basically incorporate, uh, you know, understanding how the, the financial aspect of things works and be more efficient? Because now we're talking about with the economy, employers are faced with some decreased budgets. So again, what they're looking for is not necessarily a degree, and I would hear this from employers, mm -hmm. uh, especially when I was coordinating job fairs and I would try to prepare for the fair and, and do my workshops, a lot of them would say, I don't really care what the degree is. I just want to know if I bring you to my particular job role and function, can you perform with the training that I provide, but also be able to contribute immediately? Um, and so what we find is that, you know, in the past, if I majored in English, my only options were to either go and teach or to become a writer, um, something of that nature. But now you find that people who major in English can now go into uh, marketing communications jobs. Some could even be able to move into financial planning jobs and things of that nature. So again, these nonlinear workforce transitions. So what we look at is, honestly, uh, we see educational programs um, having a hard time with catching up with that. So the, the subject matter is taught, the theory is taught. And you may find that some programs will have application of theory to practice, but the actual experience, that experiential piece is usually missing. And some uh, students or some uh, candidates I, I would hear say, uh, it's one of your biggest frustrations. You know, one of the reasons why I keep not getting jobs is I keep getting told I don't have enough experience or I'm being told I don't have a, uh, the right kind of experience. But I don't understand, I have a degree. I did an internship, but they want two years of experience. And sometimes I have to tell them, well, that two years of experience is a quick filter for employers to see, again, if you can come onto their role and they don't have to train you as much, you can pretty much perform at the top level that they want you to perform at. And so usually I have to tell them what we have to do is take out the linear nature of your presentation of your skills and your experience and now show that you have those things that they're looking for looking into the soft skills and expanding that and, and matching that and making it targeted to what the employer is wanting. Um, taking a look at specific ways that you can tell your story with data. Employers are wanting to know, okay, well, you have this particular outcome, but what does that look like? And so if you improve the deficiency of a particular process by 50% working with, you know, certain amount of resources, now you're speaking their language because now you're talking about the, the absolute thing they're looking for. So the ex, uh, two years of experience to them kind of filters out that you could do that. But if you have an internship and maybe like half a year of experience, but again, you can still achieve those same outcomes, they're going to consider you. So again, that whole nonlinear trans, um, transition and by, again, emphasizing soft skills, emphasizing more so of like the targeted functions that employers are looking for, I would say is the, 
the biggest change and with this current economy, with the whole pandemic situation, even the competitive nature of the workforce is actually, that's more of the, the um, way that a lot of people are getting noticed and cutting through the noise now. I mean, that's awesome. Um, for people who don't know, can you elaborate on what a soft skill is? <laughs> Absolutely. So when we talk about soft skills. Um, so there is the National Association of Colleges and Employers, also known as NACE, and they talk about the top things that employers are looking for based upon their survey. So some of these things that we see for soft skills that they're looking for leadership. They're looking for problem solving. They're looking for teamwork. They're looking for uh, good interpersonal communication skills. Uh, they're also looking for like social and emotional uh, skills as well. So those are like the top things we talk about uh, soft skills. Okay. Well, you know, I mean, I actually uh, am going to be entering the workforce again. Uh, I've been home oh, awesome. for a very long time. And so it actually seems very overwhelming uh, because my skill set, which I have said on the show, is like, um, I have a very, uh, I call myself the Jill of all trades. Like, I know a lot about, I know a little about a lot of different things. And so I have this tool belt that I've pulled out of, you know, over the years to do different jobs. But those have all been for me to make, you know, my income on my consulting business, kind of just doing it part time as a kid's until the kids could go back to school and all of that, that type of stuff. And now it's like, but I never got a chance to, I hadn't even concentrated. I didn't even think about doing it where I was really working to get that really strong hammer, you know, mm -hmm. upgrading to a better hammer. You know, you start with a cheap hammer that you get, you know, from the dollar store and then you go and then that one day you invest in that really expensive hammer that, you know, you know, is never going to break again. Um, I never really did that. And that was just a, a thought process thing. Like, I'm just kind of having fun, right? I can go places right. and learn different things. And I love to learn. So it was very exciting for me because I'm like, oh, I can learn a little bit over here and I can dive into this and I can dive into that. And now I'm looking at my resume. And I'm like, oh my gosh, it's all over the place. <laughs> <laughs> oh, how do I sell myself? How would someone like me sell myself to one job when my resume is like everywhere. Yeah, it's, and that's a great question because I typically find that with um, individuals who are 40, 50, uh, something about, you know, just spending some time just being able to just be in the workforce for a while. A lot of people who are 40, 50 years old may have advanced education, graduate level education. Um, and so that resume will have just a myriad of experiences, knowledge points, things of that nature. Um, and so the way you sell yourself, so when we talk about resumes, for example, there are three types of resumes. There is the chronological type of resume, a functional, and then there's a combination. So with the chronological resume, this is going to be a resume that just simply presents your experience and your education, just within a timeline order, if you will. So it just lays all that out before the table. And so the reader is looking at just the timeline of all the, the work experience and volunteer internship experience you've gathered, training, education, um, technologies, things of that nature. Whereas the functional, the functional 
is going to be a resume that will highlight specific skills experiences um, that typically are targeted towards a particular area of specialization. Um, and then we have a combination, which, which is kind of like uh, implied in the title, is a combination of chronological and the targeted or the functional type of uh, presentation of skills and experience. Um, so typically what I share with individuals is uh, if you are trying to apply for a position where the employer is specifically saying they um, want candidates to be strong or proficient in a particular area of functionality. So to give you an example, um, uh, right now we're seeing uh, project, a lot of project management work that's coming out right now. So uh, a couple of the postings that I've coached a couple of individuals are on is, you know, project management work uh, from a virtual setting typically for uh, teams, whether it's like sales nature, and a lot of it is kind of sales within sales nature. And so for them, they're wanting someone to be able to uh, manage projects, meet deadlines, be able to consort, consort with uh, various uh, key stakeholders. So whether it's the client, the individual people, and then they want certain type of like uh, knowledge within technology, Salesforce, uh, having a project management certification. Um, and so I work with people, like you said, have a diverse background, diverse presentation of skill sets. And so um, if the employer is stating these particular things on their job announcement or their posting, uh, I usually tell individuals you want to do a combination resume if you happen to have many years of experience, but a strong experience and it's very relevant. It has a lot of transferable uh, aspects of uh, what we see in the job posting, but also you ha have some ways to specialize yourself as well. Um, and so combination is a common resume I'm seeing right now that's being used, especially for those that are 40, 50 plus. Uh, and so what happens is with this is a, are a couple of key points. Um, one of the things I notice is those that tend to have advanced education, those that kind of, what you say, you said a Jill of all trades uh, in the career counseling field, they call it multi-potential. That's a, a word for you there. Multi-potential. Okay, <laughs> uh, multi yes. Good. And right. so one of the things I find in common is, you know, you, you have all of this great knowledge and you have a lot of expertise, but one of the challenges I find is that a lot of candidates have a hard time with knowing how to sell themselves. Yes. One of the key challenges within that is, well, what do I highlight or what do I speak on? Another key challenge is, is how do I put this to, to paper? How do I present this information? Mm -hmm. And so the key thing um, is having, again, a targeted type of strategy. So um, one of the things I like to tell uh, candidates is spend a lot of time on prepping yourself. So resumes, cover letters, even with uh, preparing for interviews. Uh, you're gonna spend a lot of time on that because the main thing is if you wanna be competitive, and when I say cut through the noise, cut the noise is basically all the other applicants, the hundreds of applicants that you kind of have to emerge from. Um, in order to cut through that noise, you have to pretty much treat each employer like they're the only one you're applying for. Okay. So again, doing that, that employer research, looking at, looking beyond the job announcement, looking beyond the job posting, taking a look at their company culture, taking a look at the type of team members that they have present, um, taking a look at the type of work that they do and kind of being an investigative individual and seeing, okay, what is their bottom line? What is pretty much uh, the, their, their objective as a business? And then from there, what is the objective as for this role as part of a part of this business what are they trying to accomplish and then by doing that investigative work you kind of are now sifting and, and gleaning out 
uh, ways that you can sell yourself. And so now what you do is you take this criteria, this list of, of factors, compare that to your experience, your background and your knowledge, and then you're going to tailor that to really speak upon how you have accomplished those things. Okay. So I'll give you an example. Um, one uh, 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 candidate I'm working with, she has worked in the travel industry for several, several years. Uh, she's basically a senior uh, level project manager. Um, so because of the pandemic, as you can imagine, her, her position is at, the, at any day now is going to uh, be pretty much, you know, just dissolved. Yeah. So she's currently doing a job search to get ahead of herself. And so one of the things that uh, we did is we looked at a posting that she had for it's a completely different type of client altogether. It's a, a client that's more so working with um, selling uh, products um, for financial services. And so one of the things that, you know, I coached her into doing is they, they highlight that they wanted someone to be able to work with an interdisciplinary team of professionals Mm -hmm. and bring them all together and being able to manage not only the deadlines, but be able to manage any type of challenges that come up, whether it's in communication, whether it's in certain products. And so one of the things that we had to do is, okay, let's talk a little bit about what is behind that. What is the, what is the whole statement behind that statement? Mm -hmm. And so one of the things we kind of talked about, you know, I put the question to her is, you know, um, when you talk about dealing with somebody, a bunch of individuals that are in a team for a project, what is the biggest challenge have you encountered or that you observe? And she said, well, mainly it's, it's really trying to get everybody on the same page because you have people with different types of visions or they have different types of objectives and how they feel like certain things should go. Um, and then you have people who are just particular specialists within what they do and they don't necessarily, they don't operate or they don't do their particular job with understanding how that could affect the other types of team members. So she's like, you know, that's the biggest challenge. So for me as a project manager, I have to make sure number one, I know pretty much the roles and the functions of what everybody's doing. And then from there being able to be that, that mediator. And so I turn, I say, so this is what we're going to do. So you take pretty much examples of how you've done that. Hmm. and you indicate that now on this targeted resume. So again, that's just an example, again, of taking a look at what you have specifically as an answer, if you will, to the call of what you're seeing in those jobs, job analysis or those job postings. Ooh, yeah, I was, you know, it, because it's been a while, in, I, I, I mean, yeah. talking about the last time I applied for a job was probably... 2006. Okay. Um, and that was actually before the last job I had, because I had actually interviewed for the last job I had before I got the second to last job I had. Mm -hmm. And <laughs> what, happened, <laughs> what happened was I interviewed for it. I went, you know, I submitted my resume, they brought me in, they're like, you sound great. And then I never heard from them. And then I was working, I got a job someplace else and worked for them for over a year. And then um, I left that position because it was too much uh, on me because I, was, I just had a baby. Um, mm -hmm. It was too much on me for the commute and all of that. And so mm -hmm. I just happened to go back to the website. I was like, whatever happened to that position? Like, did they ever fill it or whatever? And they didn't fill it. And I just called them back up and I said, I noticed this position's still there. And they're like, Oh, you were still our favorite candidate. Um, do you want to come back in and interview with the next, you know, it was like interview two. And I was like, 
of course. <laughs> and then <laughs> that. So it's been so long since I've even updated my resume, like any official in any official capacity. So it's just kind of like initially I, I sat down and I was like, yeah, I could do this. I could do this. And then I started looking at the job options and my resume and I'm like, I need help. <laughs> like, yeah. I, at, at, at some point I just like looked at it and said, you know, sometimes you just got to realize that you can't do it all and you don't right. have all the knowledge to, to sell it the right way because the key thing, the one thing I don't want to do is go on three dozen uh, interviews because I, because I didn't prepare and I didn't do the right resume and I didn't do the right cover letter or, you know, get passed over a bunch of times. I don't want to do that. And right. I want to get the job as soon as possible because the whole point of going back to work is to, you know, work, not spend time yes. at home <laughs> applying for jobs, actually <laughs> going to a job uh, so you can make some money. So it was just very daunting. And it, like, I was so excited to talk to you today because I was just like, I don't know what I'm doing. I did at one point in time, like I was super, and it, it's not being older, but like, I got my first legal job in college and I literally just put my resume in a folder in an envelope and mailed it to all of the local mm -hmm. law firms, you know, with a cover letter and, you know, Hey, I'm interested in, you know, working for you. Do you have any, basically it was like, do you have any work? Like anything? I was like, <laughs> file clerk, I'll figure it out. I'll see, you know, if I can move up. And I ended up with this uh, solopreneur and I was his, I started as a file clerk and he had a legal assistant who was his ex. And it was just, it was a rough situation to be in. <laughs> yeah. And he was like, I really, basically she wanted to leave and he wanted her to leave, but no one could take the role. At least he didn't have time to train anybody because the downside of being a solopreneur, especially as an attorney is where do you find time to actually hire someone? Like, yeah, because <laughs> you're working Absolutely. and you got to actually pay the bills. So, um, once he saw me work, he was like, you know, she's trying to leave. Like, <laughs> do you want her job? And I was like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so that's how I got my first legal job. So um, I consider myself pretty industrious is what it, the point mm -hmm. of that story is. Like, yeah. I was willing to just go out and put myself out on the limb. I didn't look through job listings. Granted, it was a lot harder back then, obviously. <laughs> you know, you didn't yes. have internet where all the postings are online. But it was just, you know, I spent 50 bucks on paper and ink and just printed out a bunch of resumes and sent them off. So yeah. um, now looking at it now, I'm just like, oh my gosh. And there's so, so many opportunities and I'm trying my best not to follow the shiny thing, you know? Yes. Because I'm like, there's a lot of hot jobs that I think I'll really enjoy, but I have to actually try to be more purposeful right now and like really think about the long-term, like what do I want to do for the long-term and not just right now? Um, so I can actually at least get one solid hammer, you know, <laughs> one right. hammer in my belt. Um, and so that was kind of what I worked on this morning, like mentally, like really like looking at the jobs, what makes sense, what makes sense financially, what makes sense for my time? Because the other aspect is if the job doesn't pay enough it doesn't make sense to leave <laughs> because right. it's going to be more in childcare and all the other stuff that needs to be taken care of that. It doesn't make sense to, to leave the house if it's going to end up costing us money basically for me to have a job. 
So anyway, um, that's what's going on in my life. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but you know, it's interesting you say that, April, because I, that is a common, one of the common challenges, uh, just 40-somethings deal with, you know, at the job search stage. Um, because, you know, you mentioned the aspect about trying to think long-term what it is that you want to do and trying to make that more of the target. Um, but then there's also the aspect of that pay because we, a lot of us at this stage, we have children. We do have to think about childcare. We have to think about extracurricular activities, saving up for college um, in addition to household expenses. Um, the other piece is that a lot of us have, you know, years of digging our heels in a specific area of work or specialization or profession. And so sometimes hard with deciding, are you going to make a pivot? Yep. And maybe have to leave that behind and start from scratch. Or if you just do what I call a parallel plan where, you know, you kind of are still within that realm, but you kind of always switch lanes and kind of go more of a different direction, more of a kind of like a transferable route. Um, and so that's a lot to really think about. Um, and so, you know, one of the things that um, I, I coach a lot of individuals on, and this comes back from my days when I was teaching advanced learning strategies, um, is that you have three responses as you go through this process um, that you can choose from. And sometimes one day it could be one response, the next they can be a different response but the, the three choices you have is I can change they can change or things can stay the same um, and the foundation behind that is more so of uh, this whole reflection piece, if you will, having the self-awareness, that self-management uh, and thinking and emotional regulation side of it, because you are faced and bombarded with a lot of information. And there's also a lot of changes that are taking place. And sometimes it can be daunting. It can maybe be exhausting. It can be confusing, just, you know, depending upon what type of factors you're presented with. And so, again, taking that moment to think about, I can change, they can change, or things can stay the same. Um, so one of the things I like to share is, if you will, the visualization of um, having a destination in mind mm -hmm. and starting with that first. Um, and with the help of GPS these days, we can actually punch in or type in the, the, the destination mm -hmm. and then it'll give us, a, if you will, maybe um, just a, a couple of calculated routes so we can pick the best one and then we instantly get the navigation. I wish it was that easy <laughs> for us when we do job search, career change and thing of that, things of that nature. But I think the best point is starting out with that destination. And that's what I was here where you were saying you were thinking long term. Uh, like, what is it I want to do? Um, and I, I was finding myself when I did leave that job having some similar challenges. Um, I remember specifically giving my resume to a person who was the owner of a staffing firm mm -hmm. and just kind of picking her brain to see what she thought of my resume and how I could make some changes and what did she think, you know, from a market analysis, what could I do with that? Right. And she told me, she said, oh my gosh, with all the experience that you have and just this expertise, she was like, I can't recommend anything else for you outside of higher education or career counseling, anything within that, because you really would be starting from scratch. And she said, honestly, I, I just can't confidently say that that's mm -hmm. something that you should do at this point. So, in a way, it was helpful, but I kind of walked away a little bit more discouraged because, you know, um, I felt like at some point I reached a ceiling being in higher education. 
So me making that move to nonprofit, I was really excited, bubbling with anticipation because I'm like, okay, now maybe I can kind of continue to ascend, you know, into some higher heights. And again, seeing that, oh, this is not what I thought it was going to be. Actually, it's kind of a little bit more of there's larger ceilings that are lower (laughs) than what it was in higher education. So here I am. Okay, where do I go? What is my destination? So I went to this person to say, okay, based on your knowledge and your survey of the workforce, because you're staffing people, what are the, what did, what did the destinations look like? And she was like, oh, no, there's <laughs> you, the one that you originally had. That's it. And I'm like, no, that's a ceiling. I want to go higher. I got I, I need to do yep. more. So I found myself. Okay, well, all right. Again, I can change. They can change or things mm-hmm. can stay the same. And honestly, it, it, it went to a point to where I, I was like, okay, well, you know what? I need to look at more so along the lines of for me where I can do the I can change. Mm-hmm. And so when we talk about that I can change response, it's really just taking a moment to kind of go back and do what I call your first work. So if you can imagine, you know, I think you went to school in California for undergrad, correct? So you can imagine yourself in either, it could have been high school, you were junior, senior, or that freshman year, you're bubbling freshman. And that moment when you decided that you, you know, what major you wanted to major in, or that moment Mm -hmm. when you decided what career you want to go into, Mm -hmm. you know, and think about what were those factors at that point that helped you with your decision-making. I mean, I'm going to put that back to you. What were your factors? I'll share mine too, if you want. (laughs) Well, that's a terrible question for me um um, and oddly it was something I made a decision way too young I shouldn't have made a decision um it was I wanted to be when I was eight (laughs) I wanted to be a singer or a lawyer and my mom basically said um it's a lot of work right now for you to be a singer and I was like so I guess being a lawyer and for some reason there was well not for some reason. My mother also was very insistent to, to keep me on that path. Um, And so I never really factored what that meant in the long run. So I actually do have a law degree as well. Um, And, but when I looked at a lot of the women in the legal field, I honestly just didn't see a lot of happiness. I don't see a lot of happy, attorneys, especially mothers. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not saying they don't exist. So don't hurt me, audience. Like if you're like, I know somebody who da 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 and their kids did it and they loved it. Those people exist. I'm, I know they do. But I just, especially for me, like I really like corporate law, except for corporate law is a lot of long hours and you're not mm-hmm. home and you don't spend any time at home. My last, because uh, I ended up being a paralegal um, cause I, I need to take the bar and I was working easily, you know, 12 hours a day and you just had to, you know, and then go home, shower, change, eat and start the day over again, you know? And, but that didn't leave any time for the family, which is why mm-hmm. I walked away from it. Mm-hmm. Um, but now I'm like to do things like put money aside for the college fund to send them to extracurricular activities, to um, hit all of our financial goals. Honestly, it's the only route that will get me there the fastest. Right. Um, I can do all of these other things. And that's why I was saying I was trying not to, you know, chase the shiny thing because there's also right. things that I'm very interested in, but the pay it starts to lower mm-hmm. and the likelihood of progression is lower. 
You know, it's like, I'm going to have to be there a couple of years to just get my bearings and then move and then, you know, to another company and get my bearings there and then move to another company. And it'll be probably a lot of, you know, place switching, uh, employment switching uh, to really get me to where I want to be. And that also means that I may not be local, (laughs) like depending on how I switch, the jobs aren't all here. You know, right. I, being in South Florida has its benefits. I mean, I think it has a lot of careers, but it doesn't have a, a, a plethora of jobs. You know, it doesn't have the density as, as a New York City or a Los Angeles. So, you know, really looking down that, that path of like what I want to do, because initially, I'll, I'll be honest, I wanted to be international attorney. Mm-hmm. Um, but I had my son in law school and it just kind of, you know, I, I also wanted to provide him with like a stable home, be close to family, you know, have yeah. family around. And I just didn't see how you could do that and travel the world. So I made that uh, change. And then when I had my eight-year-old, my now eight-year-old, I became a stay-at-home mom. So I stepped away altogether. So, you know, it's like all these series of decisions that you make, um, to get you where you are. And then it's like, when you try to course correct now, you got to be like, uh, okay, what exactly am I doing and how do I get there? And because the last legal job I had was a decade ago, at least it's like, okay, where do I go? From, <laughs> where do I go? Right. From here? And how do I get back to it? And how do I sound strong enough to get back into that field? So, um, but yeah, so the question actually was, um, <laughs> uh, seeing that destination and the destination was kind of traveling the world. But what I will settle for is having the money so I can travel the world with my kids, I guess was the the way to say it. Yeah. Well, you, you said a lot of significant things that is alluding to the point uh, that I'm making in regards to going back to the first work. So the first thing I heard you mentioned, you said uh, initially you were too young to make those decisions. Um, at some point. And that's one of the things I wanted to bring out. I'll tell you for me specifically, I ended up changing my major five times because <laughs> yeah. um, I was too young. And, and quite frankly, uh, I was the first person on my mom's side of the uh, family to go to college. Yep. And so for me, going to college was just a huge feat by itself. And so thinking about career majors, I was like totally not even there. I was just like, I just want to make it through the first semester to show that I belong here. Um, But, you know, I I wasn't ready. My, you know, from a developmental standpoint, I wasn't ready. I was too young myself to make that decision that I was looking for. Um, But so you mentioned that. But the other thing I was hearing a lot of is there were moments where you chose to say, I can change. I can change. I can change. You know, um, and you had a major, major change in your life and had being becoming a mother. And so when I talk about doing the first works, honestly, a lot of decisions that we make when we're young, um, we don't have the information that we have now. Yes. Um, there's a lot of that times where you say, you know, if I, if I know uh, what I, if I know back then what I wish I would have known now, I would have made these decisions accordingly. Well, we can't hit the clock. We can't say woulda, coulda, shoulda. But that's one of the first things I like to share with, with individuals is the empowering thing is now you are equipped with a lot of information to make a really good decision. Yeah. Um, and if it causes for you to say, I can change and you have to sometimes leave a little bit what you have behind that's okay because that decision was made for that moment 
Um, but what happens is, is again, 40-somethings, 50-somethings, we go through major life changes that it actually shape who we are. Yes. Um, and so I was hearing a lot of stuff that you were mentioning as far as factors in your decision-making. I was hearing some values. So you wanted to make sure that you had family values and balance with that. Mm -hmm. I was hearing the interests come forth. I was hearing things about the personality. I was also hearing things with the skills. And so with those four major areas, our life changes, our life events can affect those things. And now we have new values or we have a new personality or we have new skills or we have new interests. And so when I say do your first work, going back to looking at what those things look like, your interests, your value, your personality, your skill set, and actually looking at that. Um, for some people, they actually are up to do a, a actual career assessment, you know, to kind of gather that information and research who they are and what they're presenting. But I think part of uh, finding out that destination is really finding out who you are. Hmm. and really what what you want at this juncture in your life and what are you trying to accomplish. And I think some of the first fruits of that is looking at, well, who am I now? So now we're talking about the personality aspects. For me, again, when I was 20-something, I was fairly extroverted. Um, I uh, was uh, really a person who wanted to just be involved into the direct care of individuals. Mm -hmm. A lot of my changes were surrounding helping professions. Um, I wanted to just go and rescue everybody and just try to just, you know, save the world, everybody that I could. Mm -hmm. But now here I am, 42. And I'm kind of a little bit more lean on the introverted side. I'm kind of extroverted, but I'm a little bit introverted because having a kid will do that to you sometimes. When they're all up on you, sucking up your energy, you just want to have some alone time and that thing. But also um, for me helping, I'm kind of more of the facilitation, not rescue. So I will empower, but that whole direct care thing, trying to save you, I don't have the energy for that these days nor the patience, to be honest with you, if I'm being completely transparent. So as a person, I have evolved. So again, looking at the person who you are, looking at your interests. Um, so specifically, what what is now shaped your new interests and where do they where do they really fall within? And again, like I said, you you said that you're the Jill of all trades. Again, multi potential. One of the things I would share with individuals who can just pretty much is interested in a lot of things that can also equally do those things is to look at uh, a principle of alignment. And so when I say alignment, it could be called different things for different people. You know, if I were to get spiritual on you, look at your purpose or your destiny or your calling. Mm -hmm. If I were to kind of get, you know, um, more kind of talking about energy, you know, looking at what what is your higher self? What, what do you feel like you're drawn to to be your higher self? But for the most part, we're talking about alignment. So what are those things, you know, those topics, those areas that really just get you excited, that brings that joy, that creates that, that, that uh, experience of flow? Um, and, 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 and writing those things down, naming those things, because they exist, we just haven't named those things just yet. And so now we see where our interests lie in. Um, and then, like I said, the other point are the values, and I'm hearing the values. And typically, we have those values. We can quickly name that, because again, with us being 40, 50 somethings, it's about the responsibility that we have um, just as adults, as parents, as wives, as mothers, um, and that type of thing. So that's a quick thing. We can quickly just tease out. It's just the interest in who we are as a person and uh, the skills. But here's the thing that makes it challenging for a lot of people. It's the aspect of judgment. I don't know about you, but for me, that's the thing. If I were to say what complicates my decision making, and even though I've, I've got the 
training and the education and the background in doing this, but even as I personally go through my career development process and analysis, uh, the, the areas I find of, of challenges, I judge things. So if I say, this is my personality, these are my interests, these are my skills, here are my values. Now, all this stuff is now connected to these job opportunities. Mm. Here is the pay for these job opportunities. A lot of times judgment can kind of set in. Um, and I, I, when I say judgment, it usually is a manifestation of what we find in our age group. Because um, at one point when we were young, it was about, I don't want to say, I, I want to say competition, but in a way kind of it was like a little bit of competition, so to speak. You know, you want to make sure that you were accomplishing things as well. But for us at our age, it's about the social connections. Mm -hmm. It's about the experiential moments that we're having in life. So now salary is just not for me to pretty much just go out, have fun and things of that nature and do a lot of, you know, of, you know, those things and try to drive a certain car. But now it's about, can I create moments where, you know, um, you know, I know that my child is secure in going to college. You know, can I make sure that we have good family vacations where we can enjoy life and, 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 and that thing? So it's about creating those experiential moments. So uh, judgment becomes to be a manifestation of those things, because as we look at all these options, you know, somewhere in our subconscious is, again, the, the aspect of, you know, us wanting to have those connections and have those moments, but then we kind of judge it, so to speak. So one of the things, again, I, it goes back to that again, I can, I can change, they can change, or things could stay the same. Um, and it really is, again, looking at that destination, looking at who you are at this moment, and uh, just accepting that, being kind to yourself and owning that, and, and not judging that, honestly. Awesome, awesome, awesome. All right. I think that's a great place to, <laughs> to end. Um, yeah. So tell everyone where they can find you online or email, whatever way they can reach out to you. Um, so uh, online, uh, I have a um, counseling business, uh, career counseling and academic coaching business. It's called um, RLM Strategic Consulting. So you can find me at rlmsc.com. Um, and you can reach me at consultingdeborah at gmail.com or dmckenzie at rlmsc.com. Awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you very much as well. Thank you for listening to today's episode of The Other Side of 40. You can find us at our site, theothersideof40.com, and on Pinterest, Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Other Side 40.